Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. Where we enter into the middle of our Lord's crucifixion. And look at one of the aspects that can be chosen to delight in from what happened on Calvary. Luke chapter 23. I begin reading at verse 39. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily, I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Amen and amen. At the hour of our death, We can call upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we call upon Him in sincerity, if we've called upon Him in sincerity and lived our lives with our actions and our works backing up that call, we will be ushered into paradise to be with the Lord. Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. What a wonderful statement. What a wonderful promise. What a wonderful declaration. Let's think about it for a few minutes about what took place in the cross of Calvary relative to the malefactors that were crucified beside him. If we go back a few verses in this very chapter to verse 32, we can find out how many malefactors there were. It says that one of them, One of a plural number in verse 39 railed on him. We come back to verse 32 and it tells us, And there were also two other, along with Jesus, taken to Calvary. There were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand, and the other on the left. The context sets the stage. Jesus and two male factors were crucified on Calvary with Jesus between them. And all the gospel accounts want us to know one on the left hand and one on the right with Jesus in the midst of two male factors. Though the text may say in verse 39 that one of the male factors which were hanged We do not envision a rope around a neck dangling from a tree or a gallows. We envision a man dangling from a cross by nails in his hands and his feet, 
you're still hanging. I hope you understand that. They were crucified, but when you're crucified, it is a form of hanging because you're hanging on the cross. I just want to clarify any doubt about that word in verse 39. The Bible tells us plainly that they were crucified, all three of them, our Lord and these two male factors. Now, what is a male factor? And we'll stop using that word because we're not familiar with it. I mean, it's here in the text, and it's got a very good meaning. It's a criminal. A male factor is a felon, a person guilty of a heinous offense against the law. And we are told in the Bible that these male factors were thieves. So we know the crime they had committed. We don't know any other details about those crimes, but it was serious enough to the Roman government to crucify them for stealing. That would put short work to most thieves, wouldn't it? If there was pay-per-view for watching thieves crucified. That was not a pretty and pleasant way to go. But we have two thieves, one on the left hand and one on the right of the Lord Jesus Christ. This occurred to fulfill Scripture. Keeping your hand at Luke 23, look at Mark 15. Mark 15. It is worth noting that when the thieves are described, one is on the left hand, one is on the right, with Jesus in the middle. And that should disgust us and anger us when we think of the shame that was put upon him by those he was associated with. But it fulfilled Scripture, and it reminds us of why he was dying for sin. He became sin for us. In Mark 15, verse 27, it says, And with him they crucify two thieves, the one on his right hand and the other on his left. And then verse 28, And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, And he was numbered with the transgressors. That comes from Isaiah 53 and verse 12, where we read by prophecy, I'll read the whole verse to you. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. He was numbered with the transgressors, so we have him between two thieves. Our Lord, who never took anything from anyone by any means, who only gave of himself in his entire public ministry, hanging with two thieves, crucified on a cross between them. But it was to fulfill Scripture, and fulfill Scripture it did. Luke 22, if you go back one page, and hear the words of Jesus leading up to his crucifixion, he knew that he was going to fulfill Scripture by this means. Luke 22, verse 37, Jesus speaking, For I say unto you that this that is written must yet be accomplished in me. And he was reckoned among the transgressors. For the things concerning me have an end. Jesus knew that he was going to fulfill Scripture. Jesus knew two thieves would be crucified on each side of him, and he knew 
that it would not take too long and what he was doing for us to do the will of God for our redemption would be over and those things would be ended and he would enter into his glory. So the Bible tells us, should not Christ have suffered and then entered into his glory, which he did. But when we look at Luke 23 and verse 39, it says, One of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him. What is railing? It's uttering abusive language against a person. It's condemning and ridiculing someone. Another verb that we have in our New Testaments is to revile, which means basically the same thing. To assail with vile, harsh, condemning, ridiculing language. And we have an example of it right here in verse 39. If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. The reputation of Jesus of Nazareth was widespread enough that these men knew the claim was that he was the Christ, the Messiah of God, prophesied in the Old Testament. And here they mock him about the most important identifying fact of his life, that he was the anointed one of God. He was the Christ and the Messiah. And they dare him about it. If thou be the Christ, he was the Christ. If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. He could have responded in words that you and I can't even imagine. He knew everything about them and their past and them and their future. But do you know what the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 2? He went as a lamb to the slaughter and as sheep before her shears. He was dumb. He did not say anything foolish, nor did he respond to such railing with railing of his own. And you know I preached from that chapter recently. That is there in First Peter chapter 2, so that when you are stressed on the job or anywhere else where someone may rail against you, you should have the same spirit and character of the Lord Jesus Christ and not rail back. Remember, we went over that just a few weeks ago. Now it says in verse 39, one of the male factors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. One of them. But if we read the scriptures carefully enough, we'll find out that a change has taken place. And it's this change we want to think about and rejoice in as we come to the Lord's table. Turn to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, and let's see that when the crucifixion began, both male factors, both thieves, both criminals were railing on him, and the Bible tells us so. Matthew chapter 27, verse 44. The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. The thieves, plural, both male factors, both criminals, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. And then Mark 15. Mark chapter 15. If you read the Apostle Paul in Romans or Hebrews, as he develops his thoughts in some chapters, he says, as it is written, and again, and again, and again, because we're to look at scriptures to find out what the whole message of the New Testament is. When you read gospel accounts, make sure you check out the other gospel accounts to see what information that particular writer, by the inspiration of the Spirit, put there 
and it's when we synthesize and collect the whole matter that we know what happened. Mark chapter 15 and verse 32. These are the chief priests that are mocking him. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. They, plural, both thieves. There were only two. We can't be confused. It says they. And there is some of that mocking, railing, reviling language. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross. He was Christ, the King of Israel. His superscription said, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. They dared him. But he wasn't moved by their railing or their reviling because he had a purpose. And that purpose was the will of God to die on that cross for you and me and for one of those thieves. This railing thief that we find in Luke 23, 39, this reviling malefactor, this criminal hanging beside him saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. He wasn't seeking salvation sincerely. He was mocking him. He wasn't looking for a way out of his death. He was scorning the Son of God. He thought him a fraud and a liar. Or he would have been asking him nobly and soberly. He presumed on him. If this Jesus of Nazareth did have the power to save... He presumed that he ought to be saved right along with the Savior. Oh, some of these traits of this man in verse 39 are so similar to the wicked today. They presume that they all deserve salvation and that God should save them. What a glory for our Savior not to even respond. But yet we need to ask ourselves how many rail, how many swear falsely, Or how many presume on him in the house of God by our carnal lip service? You know, in the sight of God, when we come in here and we give lip service to him and we go out and live without him being the love and delight and joy of our lives, we have taken his name in vain and we have been foolish and vain and wicked ourselves. Verse 40. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? But, what what a wonderful word in the Bible. The Apostle Paul was once the enemy of those who followed the Lord Jesus Christ, but we read in Galatians chapter 1, But, when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace, to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. The buts of Scripture, and here is one of those buts. One of the male factors, one of these criminal thieves, railed on the Lord Jesus Christ, but the other stood up for him, defended him, and rebuked this thief that was railing. Now we have seen that two of them were railing. So a change has taken place. A change has taken place that is not defined for us here because the Holy Spirit expects us to understand that a change like this is defined elsewhere in the New Testament. And we know it from what other plain scriptures tell us 
that make a change like this. What a precious word. The adversative, but. The disjunctive, but. That says there's a great difference between the two thieves. One's railing, one's rebuking that thief who was doing the railing. He didn't wait for Jesus to defend himself. He did not let that silence quiet him that the Lord didn't mind or that the Lord could put up with it. He knew it was wrong. And I love that. Do you know what the Bible says? It's a godly trait when you rebuke sin, when you see it in your neighbor. And this man did it. Brethren, listen to these words. The righteous hate the wicked, and it's a righteous thing to hate the wicked. Proverbs 29 and verse 17 sounds like this. 29, 27. An unjust man is an abomination to the just. And he that is upright in the way is abomination to the wicked. Do you understand that? What it says is the world is full of hate. The righteous hate the wicked, and the wicked hate the righteous. And that's the way it is. David said, O Lord, do not I hate them that hate thee. I hate them with a perfect hatred. This man, all of a sudden, he has been railing. Now he's changed so much that he's despising his fellow, his colleague in crime, and is rebuking him for what he's saying against the Lord Jesus Christ. You, do you ask yourself, why wasn't there someone like this in Pilate's judgment hall? Do you know that we read of no man that stood up in Pilate's judgment hall and said, Stop! Stop this farce! Pilate gave his meek, feeble, effeminate little efforts, but then went ahead and washed his hand and said, I'm free from the blood of this innocent man. Go ahead and crucify him. Why wasn't there anyone in there that had the heart of this thief? This man is spending most of his energy staying alive alive right now. And yet he's defending the Lord Jesus Christ and rebuking sin in someone who had been a colleague in crime. The profanity and wickedness of men is great. One thief could not understand the other. Why he would be speaking that way against the Lord. All three were going to die because that was the punishment that was being executed against them. But Jesus was not dying justly. He did not deserve death. And yet the, the, the thief that has changed, the thief that is defending Jesus, look what he says about himself. Dost not thou fear God? Don't you fear God? Why all of a sudden is the fear of God so important to this man? Because God has put it in him. There's a fear of God that the world does not have. Does the Bible tell us in Romans 3.18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. If it were not for God to put his fear in our hearts, every one of mankind, every one of us, would live without the fear of God without the fear of God that wants to please Him and hates to do anything that displeases Him. Oh, men may fear God in the sense of they fear pain and punishment, but they do not reverence Him and love Him and want to flee to Him to do what is right. Adam and Eve feared God. They went and hid in the trees of the garden so that they wouldn't have to face God in their shame. But the true fear of God would have run to God and repented, like a Zacchaeus. Like this thief. 
He wasn't afraid to die. He knew he deserved to die. He said, we're getting the just deeds for our crimes. Dust not thou fear God. What gave him this fear? This is what we call regeneration. This is God speaking life into him. And whether it was at that moment or a few moments earlier, God changed this thieves' heart. So that he loved God. He loved God. Christ. He feared God. He wanted to defend righteousness. He wanted to punish wickedness. And though the wickedness was upon himself, he knew that he was worthy of dying. That's an incredible transformation. You know, how many times had he thought before he committed his crimes, I shouldn't be doing this, but went ahead and did it anyway. And now he's hanging there just a few hours from death. And he's admitting his guilt. And he deserves what's happening to him. You know, when we look at this, we should think of, if where did this thief get his fear of God? We need to ask the same question. Where did Cornelius get his fear of God? They got their fear of God from God himself who put it in their hearts. By the Holy Spirit of God in regeneration that gives us a new heart, a new nature, a new man within us. That changes us. That all of a sudden, the things of God are delightful to the new man and the things of this world are hateful to him. That all of a sudden fears God and loves righteousness. That wants to punish wickedness and defend righteousness. What a change in this thief. Between, between verses 32 and 33 and verses 39 and 40. Verse 41. And we indeed justly. For we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. Hey, thief, don't talk to him that way. Shut up. Don't you fear God? We're getting what we deserve. But he didn't do anything to deserve this. Look at this man defending Jesus Christ while he's dying. While he's lived a dissolute life and ends up a criminal we don't know how many times he'd stolen. We don't know anything about his past except that he was a criminal and a thief. And there's two sins we know about him. He was a thief and he railed on the Lord Jesus Christ along with the rest. And here he is defending our Savior. One thief, this thief, one that God had changed, knew that he deserved to die. He knew that he had committed penalties against the law and deserve to die. Do you know that the Bible tells us that the Gentiles have enough knowledge of God and His righteousness that they enact laws because they know that those that commit such things are worthy of death? Romans chapter 1, verse 32. So that they are without excuse. He knew He deserved it. He had committed crimes against the law of the land and deserved to die. He was not the least doubtful about his guilt and shame. He used the word indeed for emphasis. And we indeed justly. It's not even close. We deserve to die. For we're getting the due reward. The proper payment for what we've committed in our lives. But this man, this Jesus of Nazareth, this man you're railing on, he's done nothing amiss. 
He's done nothing worthy of death. They could well have heard the trial. We don't know that. They could well have heard the trial and knew that Jesus Christ was slandered in court. That that was a kangaroo court against him. That they had no evidence. That all those that brought their accusations against him could not agree among themselves on the charges they brought. But he knew that he didn't deserve to die. We die indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. When Elihu describes confessing your sins, this is how he words it. If any say, I have sinned and perverted that which was right, and it profited me not, he will deliver his soul from going into the pit, and his life shall see the light. I have sinned, I have perverted that which was right, and it profited me not. This thief sounds a whole lot like that, hanging here saying, what we have done was wrong. We are getting what we deserve. It did not pay for us to be criminals. We die, and deservedly so. This man does not deserve to die. Now, when you look at that last clause of verse 41, it says, This man hath done nothing amiss. And if you were reading just one verse, you might think to yourself, Well, the thief did not understand who this man was. But that's why we keep reading. And so we come to verse 42. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. The thief had been speaking to the other thief, past the Lord Jesus Christ, rebuking him. Dost not thou fear God? We're all in the same condemnation. But we deserve it, and he does not. Then he turns to the Lord Jesus Christ, and his first word is, Lord. Can you think of someone else in the Word of God that we rejoice in when his first word was, Lord? Saul of Tarsus, on the road to Damascus, in Acts chapter 9 and verse 5, bent, twisted out of shape, burning in his anger against Jesus of Nazareth and all those that worshipped him, on his way to Damascus with authority from the high priest, he is struck down by a bright light shining above the noonday sun at midday. And Jesus Christ speaks to him and his response... Who art thou, Lord? He wanted to clarify the identification of the ruler that had just met him and put him in his place. Who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. Praise the Lord. Lord, what's the next sentence? Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? That's what we want to do. Do you know how fast that exchange took place? That's not even 60 seconds. Do you know what it takes today for us to repent of wasting any of our years? Like one of the songs we just sang a few minutes ago. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? We can say that and mean it and do it today. He said unto Jesus, Lord, what does that mean to you? Does it mean something to you after I read this verse? 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 3. 
Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man, speaking by the Spirit of God, calleth Jesus accursed. Like the other thief. And that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. That word came out of that thief by the Holy Ghost. He was born of God, and Jesus was revealed to him so that he knew he was his Lord. He was the high king of heaven. And in his hands, and in his decision, and in his will, his future rested. That thief knew all that immediately. Because look at what he said. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He didn't say, remember what I have done. He didn't say, Lord, I'm inviting you into my heart. He knew that the issue uh, after death was not his knowledge of Jesus, but Jesus' knowledge of him. Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He even knew Jesus was a king. When Jesus said, and this, I think this is the third Sunday in a row I've mentioned this passage. When Jesus said, whom do men say that I the Son of Man am? And I gave a bunch of, ex- of wild ideas. And that, but whom do you say that I am? He said to his apostles. And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Simon, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my Father which is in heaven. The Father which is in heaven revealed a whole lot to this thief. Do you know what? He knew more about the kingdom of God than those that preach today called dispensationalists. This, this man knew that Jesus was going to send from the earth and go into his kingdom, and he wanted to be there with him. Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And he wasn't talking about some 2,000 year delayed event. He knew he was king. What does that? Do you know Jesus is king? Listen, I used to work. I used to work in a bank up north where there's a whole lot less that even call themselves Christians. But the Catholics that I worked with and the pagans that I worked with, they'd throw the name of Jesus around like it was nothing. Jesus this. Jesus, Jesus. The Lord knows how I'm using it right now to remind you of what the world is like out there. They're using that word as a curse word by the devil himself. And you know what? When Jesus all of a sudden becomes a glorious king and a savior to you, there's only one explanation for it. God's made that revelation to your heart, and the Holy Spirit of God is directing your heart to believe that and to say it. No man can even say it without the Spirit of God. Do you believe that today? Does Jesus Lord and King today? Look what he did to this thief. He was railing on him. Can the Lord open a heart? Can the Lord change a heart? Can the Lord speak the word and regeneration take place? Can the Holy Spirit of God blow like the wind, blow where it listeth? So is everyone that is born of the Spirit, John 3, 8. This thief is born again, dangling before death. And his first word, as he turns to Jesus of Nazareth, Lord. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that he is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Was God, 
Had Jesus prayed for God to glorify himself on the cross? A thief that was cursing him. A wild ass. Lord. Praise the Lord. He did that for me. I was taught not to use the name of Jesus in vain. My father would have cut my tongue out and fed it to the neighbor's dog. I love my father for that. But you know what? It didn't save me from the same sin because I claimed to be a Christian and live like the devil. I was a cursing, railing, wild ass. But he is my Lord. Is he your Lord? Do you love your Lord? Is he your king? Do you know he has a kingdom? Do you want to serve in that kingdom? Would you be a doorkeeper in that kingdom? Would you wash the feet of Jesus in that kingdom? Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Is the word Lord important when it applies to Jesus Christ? Jesus approaches the Pharisees and says, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? These wise, seminary-trained theologians said, He's the son of David. Jesus said, If he's the son of David, then why did David call him Lord? In Psalm 110 and verse 1. You know what it says in Psalm 110 and verse 1? The Lord, all caps, said unto my Lord. That's David saying, God the Father Almighty said to Jesus, the Son, my Lord, in prophecy. What was Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost? Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. 3,000 had soft hearts, regenerated and made ready by the Spirit of God. They heard that, that verse, Acts 2.36, and in verse 37, they said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? This thief didn't have Peter to help him. Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. This man knew enough by the inspiration of God himself. To say, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. There was a superscription on the top of that cross that said, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Pilate put it there out of a little bit of conscience. The Jews used it to mock him. They hated that superscription over the cross that Pilate had put there. They went to Pilate and said, get that thing down because that isn't true. Pilate said, what I have written, I have written. But then they said, if you're the king of the Jews and come down from the cross, they mocked him for that title. This thief knew it was a true title. Lord, remember me when thou comest into whose kingdom? Thy kingdom. He knew it was the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love, I love thinking about what the thief said. He did not make an appeal to any decision he had made in the past. He didn't say, Lord, remember that I made a decision for you 
five years ago at summer camp. He didn't make an appeal to any works he had done. You know, there's going to be a lot of men that make an appeal. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name done many wonderful works and in thy name have cast out devils? And he's going to say to them, I never knew you. I don't remember you. That is the key issue in heaven. Who are the Lord's? The thief. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. I find this interesting and I hope that you'll enjoy it for just a second. There was a woman near that cross who was the mother of Jesus. Her name was Mary. And there's 1.1 billion people who believe this is the most powerful prayer on earth. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of death. If there was ever a time for the Hail Mary to be used, the thief should have been praying the Hail Mary to pray for us sinners at the hour of our death. And as those Catholics sit there and flip through their 55 beads of the rosary, praying ten Hail Marys for every one, our Father which art in heaven, they blaspheme our Lord Jesus Christ. The thief knew who to turn to, and it wasn't the mother of Jesus. The thief turned to the Lord Jesus. Lord, remember me. He begged the Lord to remember him, knowing it was his choice and his acceptance that mattered. You know, the Bible tells us that we have been predestinated to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the Beloved. It's not that we do the accepting. It's that God accepts us through Jesus Christ. That's Ephesians 1.6. The accepting that makes all the difference in the world is God accepting us through Jesus Christ. The thief understood it. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Oh, Jesus wasn't going to forget him because Jesus said in John chapter 6, I will lose none of them that the Father hath given me. Because the Bible tells us this, the foundation of God standeth sure, the Lord knoweth them that are His. Do you know how important this is? In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 9, the Apostle Paul would start a sentence by saying, how what a wonderful thing it is that we know God. And then he says, yea, rather, that we are known of God. Galatians 4, 9. Because the important equation is, does God know us? Does God remember us? Not remember our deeds. But remember His deed for us. Does God remember that Jesus died for us so that we can be accepted in the Beloved? Yes, that is salvation. The thief understood it. He prayed like the publican. God be merciful to me, a sinner. What made the difference? Except a man be born again, he cannot see the the kingdom of God. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Therefore, we may safely conclude the thief had just been born again because he saw the kingdom of God. He could see that Jesus was the king of that kingdom. No man 
Jesus said, no man can come to me. Did the thief come to him? He turned to Jesus and said, Lord, no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And that is no asking. That is pulling, taking, drawing, changing, opening the heart. Because the Bible also says in the same context as Jesus addressed Jews that did not believe on him, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. There wasn't any doubt about the Father's drawing in that place. And he drew this thief. Because that's the only way we would ever come to Christ. When I read about Lydia in Acts chapter 16 verse 14, it says, Whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things that Paul was preaching. The thief's heart was opened to realize the Son of God is dying beside me. That is a spiritual revelation. He didn't need to go to Sunday school. He didn't need a track. He didn't need that information. The Lord revealed it to him. There is, there's no amount of persuasion that can convince you of Jesus Christ apart from the Spirit of God. Jesus would say that if a man came back from the dead, and that would be a pretty effective object lesson, if a man came back from the dead, it would do no good. If you don't hear Moses and the prophets, you would not listen, though a man came back from the dead. Why in the world do people think that if they give them cookies and milk, that they're going to get extra decisions for Jesus when Jesus said even a man coming back from the dead can't accomplish it. Repentance is a gift of God. You know, Paul told Timothy, don't strive. It's not worth it. Don't strive with men. Be patient toward all men. Apt to teach. In meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will grant them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth that they may recover themselves of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Here's a man that had been taken captive. He was full of contradictions. He's dying. And God granted him repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Jesus is king. The natural man, the carnal man, you know the verses. The things of the Spirit of God are foolishness to him. This man had a spiritual man that the Spirit of God could address. And he recognized in the Son of God all the glory of a king and a savior. And he needed his will exercised on his behalf. Because the Bible says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Amen. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. This thief knew that, that it was all the mercy of Jesus To remember him in his kingdom. Verse 43. Jesus said unto him. Verily I say unto thee. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Do you love the word verily? It means something is most certain. Most definite, sure, and true. Verily. I say. That word, those words declare it was the Lord's choice in the matter. I say. As King and Savior. Do you know what Acts 17.2 says? As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. God gave Jesus Christ power over all flesh. All flesh. Both thieves. 
to give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Verily, I say, it's my authority given to me by God. I say, unto thee, not unto you. You know why we use the King James Bible, don't you? Do you want one of the 100 reasons? Because it still uses the these and thous, which are absolutely necessary to understand the singular or plural second person pronouns. When you have the word thee, he is not talking to the other thief. He is talking to that thief. Verily I say unto thee, I have authority over both of you. I speak to one of you. Verily I say unto thee, Jesus was limiting the following promise to him alone today. The thief knew he was going to die that day. If he didn't die hanging on the cross, they would come and break his legs and he would die. He knew he was going to die that day. And so Jesus told him that there's no worry. There's not going to, you're not going to be lost anywhere. Today thou shalt be with me. Shalt. It's as sure as all the shells that we read in the Bible where God's behind them. You know, we, we think of that simple text in Matthew 1.21. When the angel spoke to Joseph and said, She shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Did any one of those shells not come to pass? All three did. And this shalt came to pass. Do you love the word thou? Today shalt thou. Verily I say unto thee, both of those these and thous have to be singular pronouns of one person. It was so personal. It was no broadcast ye or you that meant that's plural. It was singular, thee, thou. I gave my life for thee. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt be with me in paradise. With me. What do you want to go to heaven for? Jesus tells us what the secret of heaven is. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And that's to be with the Lord. Let me quote it again. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. With me. Do you love the word paradise? It's the third heaven of God's presence. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that he knew a man in Christ that was taken up into the third heaven. And that third heaven he calls paradise. It's the presence of God. The first heaven is where the birds fly. The second heaven is where the stars exist. And the third heaven is the presence of God. And it's called paradise. It's called paradise because it is a beautiful and perfect place by all infinite measures of a happy place. Because God and the Lamb are the light and the glory of that place. And there is no sin there, nor sickness, nor crying, tears, nor death, nor sorrow, because it's all taken away, and all things are changed and become new there. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. I want you to know that the Jehovah's Witnesses take the comma that comes after the word thee and before the word today and move it to after the word today. It's in their New World Translation of the Scriptures. Because they do not believe that that elect, regenerated, justified thief went to be with Jesus Christ. They believe he went into soul sleep until the final judgment. They move the comma so that it reads this way. Verily I say unto thee today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. Meaning, 
I'm talking to you today. At some future time, you'll be with me in paradise. Do we believe where the commas are placed in our King James Bible? That comma is placed there. Verily I say unto thee, today modifying when thou shalt be with me in paradise. Because Paul tells us that, to be absent from the body is to be with the Lord. And this man was going to leave the body shortly, and he would be with the Lord. Notice that Jesus didn't make any requirement of baptism. Do you have to get baptized in order to go to paradise? Jesus didn't say, you're going to need to be baptized. I thank the Lord for this passage. Sinner, saint, are you uncertain or unsure of paradise for your soul? Lay hold of the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. Call upon him in sincerity and in truth and say, Lord, remember me. I know thou art already in thy kingdom. And I shall soon stand before thee, either by death or your coming. Remember me. And then live accordingly. Jesus said in Luke 6, 46, Why call ye me Lord and do not those things that I command you? There's the measure of whether your calling upon the Lord is in sincerity and truth or not. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. That day is coming for all of us. One way or another, we shall face death like the thief did. And look at the simple transaction. The thief didn't get his name written in the book of life that day. It had been written there before the foundation of the world. The Bible tells us that. He was justified in the counsel of God before the world began. As certain and surely as his glorification. He was regenerated outside of his own power because he never would have sought it himself. Because the Bible tells us it is not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Amen. That he was born again. John 1.13 But he did want to lay hold of it for the assurance of his own soul. And he said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And does that promise mean something to you? Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. We have similar promises right here in the word of God. Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. There's never going to be any shame to your account if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ because it is the evidence that God has done a work in you and you have eternal glory waiting for you in heaven. May the Lord Jesus Christ bless the preaching of his word.